Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles, I'm the Managing Director of B Squared and I am the host of the Sendcast. A big welcome to all our new listeners if this is your first episode. The aim of the Sendcast is simple, we want to reach lots of people and help everyone learn more about special educational needs and disability. Every week on the podcast, I have a different guest who has come along to talk about an area they are passionate about. And this week, my guest is Lynn Howe. Lynn is an educational consultant, editor of Teacher Toolkit website, and she is a blogger. And in this episode, we're discussing becoming a Senko. Where do you start? The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We are the assessment people. We help you to show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. We help you do this for a wide range of abilities and a wide range of ages. If you are a primary school struggling to show progress, struggling to identify where a pupil isn't making progress, working out what those next steps are, or just struggling with the engagement model, we can help you. And did you know you can also use our assessment software for more than just pupils with SEMD? We've increased our range of content. We now have a less detailed breakdown so you can use that breakdown for the rest of the pupils in the school. One system for all your people, saving you time and money and simplifying that whole assessment process. Visit the B-Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through what our assessment software can do. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing where do you start when you become a Senko? What do you do so you don't feel like Alice in Wonderland? And for those working with Senkos, what is the Senko's role? My guest this week is Lynn Howe. Lynn is an educational consultant, editor of the Teacher Toolkit website, and a blogger. Lynn has worked in education for over 20 years, including being an assistant head, lead mentor for ITT, and a Senko. And one of our big focuses is well-being, and that is for both staff and pupils. Welcome to the show, Lynn. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. So becoming a Senko is extremely daunting. And I think some people don't know what they're letting themselves in for when they take on that role. Do you say that's true? Yeah, I would definitely agree. There's quite a few aspects to that one. So I think I'd start with the qualification that you do to become a Senko. doesn't actually have much bearing on the role in real life. So if someone was looking at the qualification and thinking, oh, these are the things that I need to do, become a Senko and this is what the job entails I'm not quite sure that they get a fair representation of what the actual job is in real life although the qualification has its place because it's very theoretical and it's good to share a certain amount of knowledge and understanding about theory behind special educational needs it's a little bit difficult to actually think about how that actually fits into what you do as day-to-day jobs so I know there's meetings that there's going to be a new MPQ coming eventually. So I welcome any amendments to that to start with. So just go straight in there with that one. (laughs) It's interesting because you read the Naysenko and if you read about Naysenko from somebody who provides it, and they're supposed, again, I don't know much about it, but I've read from someone there's a central organisation which ensures quality of the Naysenko qualification, all this lot. But all the people who provide the Naysenko say it's amazing. And you see them come into groups and say, yes, it's great. We do all this, this, this. But all those who have gone through it feel it really, really doesn't prepare them for the job. Mm. And I really wish the Naysenko people would do an exit survey a year on and go, 
how did the course prepare you for the job? How has it helped you in your job? And I really feel if they did that a year on, they would change the course. <laughs> yeah, I'd certainly agree with that. And particularly as time is a major issue for your settings generally, and you don't have time to do your qualification on top of your workload. So if you're doing too much of your workload and have the qualification to do on top of it, it's yeah, it's really challenging. And I can see that people are put off by the first hurdle, really. So if it was something that was practical and you could do it within your day job and use things that happen in your day job as a part of it, rather than kind of trying to crowbar in things that you need to do to hit particular targets for your for qualification, then I think it would be a little stress, less stressful for everybody involved. So yes, that's the first thing. <laughs> yeah, so the first thing, being a qualification won't help you in your day-to-day role. No. Well, that's not 100% true. Some of it will. <laughs> I would not like to put a number on it. I think people will decide for themselves. So I think that's the answer. Yeah, but it is, it is, that's what you've got to think about is if you're moving on further ahead, the thought process, doing research on particular areas is great and useful for you in your development. But for and then people said it doesn't really cover the legal side of things. No. It doesn't cover lots of areas, which is that in reality what that Senko needs to learn quite early on. I mean, you can put it towards a master's, which is great. And I love academic writing, so I quite enjoyed it. But yeah, it's certainly, <laughs> there's certainly two camps. <laughs> yes. So it's just one of the things is don't look at the Nesenko and go, oh, that's what the job entails. Or think, oh, I'll do that. That'll give me everything I need. No, there's going to be a lot of other work you will need to do and take on yourself Mm. to really learn the role. Definitely. And I think another aspect is if you're coming in from a direction of having been a class teacher versus whether you're coming in from the direction of leadership. So because I was an assistant head and a deputy head for a while before that, I'd done a decade of leadership. And part of my decision to become a Senko was obviously I love special educational needs education. But after my second maternity leave, I wanted to stay in leadership, um, but I wanted to be part time. And Senko is a lot more flexible for that. But luckily, I already had those skills that were needed in terms of being able to line manage people, being able to lead appraisals, being able to lead on school improvement. And I was I ended up being used for a lot more than the Senko role, to be honest, because of my previous skills. But, you know, I like to get involved. I'm a yes person. So <laughs> that was absolutely fine. But If you're coming into it from the other end, if you're a class teacher who's never done any of those skills, yes, you might be a fantastic Senko, but until you turn up on the day, you quite often don't understand the full extent of the leadership involved in that role. And also, depending on your setting, how much support with that leadership are you going to get? Because in teaching, I've found over the years that you don't really get trained before you start a role, (laughs) as some people sometimes in some areas it's more that you do a role and then hope for the best and then you might get 10 pounds worth of cpd at some point in that term yeah you know i don't know if you'd agree dale (laughs) i think in the private sector you kind of show how good you are at your role typically you then get put on training yep and then once you've done the training you often then take on that role now it might not be straight away it might be we'll try you for a couple months yes you're getting a call we'll go on the training And in the private sector, the training you generally go on, so I've done loads of training with Microsoft and some other tech stuff because I love my tech. 
And I literally learn and I can come back and I am better at my job instantly. So there's like project management courses if you're into that and all these sorts of stuff. You literally, I'm going to do that. Well, let's get you trained up because they've learned that if you're trained up and you're better at that job, they're going to get more out of you. And generally in the private, you might have to say, I won't leave for two years because they've paid for the course. They want to get their money out of you. And I really don't have a problem with companies doing that. But yeah, you get trained up generally either before or very early on on how to do that role in most private sector good organizations, whereas teaching and education is do the role, you'll find your way. There you go. It's what I often see. And it is, it's very much like we're teaching at sink or swim. If you're an NQT, you arrive in a class, in a school, there's your class, off you go. Mm-hmm. And in terms of special needs, you haven't had much initial teacher training around special needs. And you're going to walk into a class, which will have a child in the HCP, will have IEP, will have behavioral management. And you haven't even had a time to go through. Here's all the policies. Here's mm-hmm. all the procedures. Here's everything, all that time. You find that out kind of as you're doing the job, you're sinking or swimming. Definitely. And it just goes from there. Yeah. It just always does that. I think as well, if you haven't been teaching for that long, you've got less in your toolbox, if you like, in order to draw upon. Mm-hmm. The reason that when I became a Senko that I was able to answer the majority of questions is because I've been in education for 20 years. And, you know, just behavior wise and in classrooms and extra needs, I've done trial and error you know, for 20 years. And that's the thing that's created those that good practice that I can show with others is my own trial and error and what worked well and what didn't work. But then at the same time, you're still only a generalist. Yep. And the class teachers quite often want you to have all the answers and they want you to have them now. So that's a bit of a challenge sometimes when you've just walked into a new job and you're expected to know all the answers, whereas you need to sort of turn around and say, hang on a minute, I just need to, a little bit of time to go away and research that. I'll come back with some strategies. Have you tried your uh, quality first or high quality teaching strategies to start with? and then go from there. So, you know, there's an awful lot more to it in terms of your status in the school as well, because people do look to you for those answers. You said something in there, which you will probably not even know you said, but is a very, very big skill. Okay. And you probably would have got it as you lead in your leadership, which is, I'll come back to you. Mm. Yeah. That's that, that phrase. Yeah. Is you happy to admit, I don't know, Mm -hmm. or I'm not sure I will come back to you. I think when you're that class teacher, yeah, if you don't know an answer, you just, you refer it to someone above you. You can just, I'll get the uh, key stage lead. I'll get the English lead. I'll get the head teacher. I'll get the deputy. You can refer it up. If you don't know, you can refer it up. Problem is a Senko, you are the referred to person. They come to you and you will very much feel like you should be the expert, but you no, that takes years. And even then something new will come along. So don't be afraid of saying, I'm not sure, I'll come back to you. Yeah, that, although you might sit there and show, you might feel that's, I can't say that or anything like that, or it might show I'm not good at my job. It's one of those best things you can do because it makes you appear to other person as human. Agreed, yeah. Yeah. And then when you go away and find out, yeah, and you might spend an hour doing some reading, but you come back with a load of information and and they see you going from, I'm not sure to, okay, yeah, you're halfway there and what I need or you're above me or you've found things that I haven't found and you're having that conversation, you will look so much better in that person's eyes because you have just spent an hour or so of your life 
researching their child. Yeah, and actually an important skill is, you know, knowing what to do when you don't know what to do. That's a Guy Claxton thing, isn't it? With the hair, brain, yes. tortoise, mind. And, you know, if you can find things to do when you don't know what to do, then that makes you more secure in your role. So, you know, I'm at a level of confidence where I'm happy to sort of say, I don't know, I can come back to you. And, you know, I'm not a magician. <laughs> so you know, it might take a little bit of time and things take time to embed. And But then I'd also say that to anybody, just don't be afraid to say that you don't know. That's absolutely fine. And don't be a yes person because that also links into well-being. Don't say yes straight away to things. Just a, a link there. You know, say I'll come back to you on anything you're asked to do as well because that's an important life skill. Yes, that yes thing, yeah. Never become the yes person many years ago before my B-squared time. I was a forklift truck driver for IKEA. I started there when I was 16, worked through my college years. But there was a boss above me who, you asked him, can you do this? He was saying, no. But that would really anger people. But if he looked at what was going on and he said no, he looked at it and went, I can't do that. And by me saying no, you will go to someone else who will get it done, or you'll realise it can't be done at that time. If he said yes, it would be done. But people didn't like him saying no. And when he left, people were going, yes, he's gone. And the new person just always said yes. But actually, 80% of the time he said, yes, it didn't happen. And then they started to realise, as we all did, actually, the person saying no, we were all much better because when he said no, we did it a different way so it could be done. Mm. And that taught me so much about not being a yes person. There's only yeah. a finite amount of time, isn't there? And when your time is 100% filled and more, then being a yes person doesn't please anybody even though you want to please everybody yeah you'll just you'll by saying yes to everything you're going to let everyone down in reality because you're either going to try and do everything and burn yourself out mm. or you literally will not have the capacity and will have to let some people down but then you won't like saying that so they won't even have a warning it's not so yeah part of that is time which as a senko you will not have any and I still read lots of horror stories about Senkos who I would say are viewed by other staff, especially in the senior leadership team, as maybe not doing much. So therefore, we'll use them to cover PPA, we'll use them to cover lessons. So although you have your Senko more time, that can very quickly disappear because you're covering. Yeah, but I said it also depends on individual context because, you know, it, what you think the reality of the situation might not actually turn out to be the reality of the situation because you are one person in a school and yeah. it's a very misunderstood role. However, I would like to come in there and say it's still a wonderful job. It and is. It is the best job in education. And when it goes well and when you're really supporting individual children and changing lives better, then I wouldn't do anything else. Okay, so I meet... But doing this, I meet lots of great Senkos, you, Jenny Bootman, various others. And generally what you all have is a great leader above you. I would say most of Senkos who thrive have a good head teacher above them. Yeah? I would agree with that, yeah. So you might be a great Senko, but you might be performing really badly. And from the outside, we'll look like rubbish because your leader isn't supporting you and isn't championing SEM. Whereas if you go to a school who is, you will be, without you changing anything you do as a Senko, you will suddenly be performing and doing all the stuff you felt you should have been doing. It's very different. Okay, so don't judge your output and what you're doing by your quality. 
you've got to look at the whole school picture. Definitely. And just on that, I would also say that some SENCOs in a school that doesn't understand SCN doesn't necessarily know what they don't know, nor do they have the opportunity to find out what they don't know. And some sometimes schools can be quite insular. So we always got the schools in my cluster, for example, that would never turn up to the cluster meetings and they would never network on anything and you couldn't get answers from them. So, you know, whether that means that the Senko was in class 95% of the week and had 5% of time, release time to do the Senko side of things, I don't know. But you also get schools where your head teacher is also very on board with the inclusion and may also be a Senko themselves. And, you know, together you can move the world, can't you? Despite challenging circumstances, challenging budgets, you can still really take strides forward into supporting those children. Yeah. And I would say some of the heads that I worked for, although he admitted himself, didn't understand Senkoing at all, but was happy to let me run with it because actually he knew that I understood Senkoing and what the children needed, etc. So he was happy for me to feed back to him. And so that's another another thing, isn't it? A leadership skill him he's happy to let me go with it so yeah I don't know so I'm going to let you lead on it and tell me what you need that is another really good big leadership skill which by him not knowing he hasn't imposed his misunderstanding his misconceptions or anything he's let you say look this is what we need to do blah 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 so before we go through a load of stuff can you give me top five or a couple of things that you have to do as a Senko which takes lots of time okay so just off the top of my head, I would say number one thing that you don't really plan for is when a child is having some difficulty in a classroom or disappears off onto the playground or is in a toilet for a long period of time, the time it takes to support that child out of that situation. That takes a very long time. So that's something that you can't plan for and happens depending on your setting and your children yep. relatively regularly. So that's one thing. Outside agencies, that's a massive part of the role of making reports for GPs and specialist teachers, et cetera, et cetera, uh, speech therapists. So liaising those outside agencies takes a serious amount of time, but actually doesn't impact the teaching and learning in the classrooms, which is kind of the thing you need to sort out in order to make most progress. So there's a lot of behind the scenes on that. What else? I think there's the mountains of paperwork that you have to do that you don't necessarily consider when you start and it's not just the amount of paperwork it's kind of the toing and throwing of extracting paperwork out of people and that's a bugbear of a lot of senkos and yes yeah getting those deadlines in and just making sure that people stick to it and you know class teachers we've all got tunnel vision as a senko if you're just a senko you can be tunnel visioned about it you can you know champion your area if you're not you've also got your class teaching responsibility but class teachers have also got their own massive amount of things to get done so depending on their situation perhaps you're not their first priority so you know meeting those deadlines and paperwork and just taking that paperwork out of people's brains onto paper and then to you and then sending it back for amendments and then Toing and throwing until it's right. I'd also say on there, another one came into my head that on the back of that is just making sure that you're giving the people those skills in order that they can do it themselves. Because it's very easy just to go, oh, I'll write it for you. Yeah. And if you do that all the time, then they don't get any better at it. <laughs> yes, that song is upskilling the staff. I think the final thing I would say to add in that is working with parents. Oh, yes. So to me, they are five things, yeah, and that's kind of the bits I expected. The first one was really interesting is 
So now give me a top five things, if you can, that people think is your role. And they try and throw to you. Because that's the thing. I think people are never quite sure how big that Senko role is. And they, I think people throw things at the Senko, well, that's special needs. And I see, initially, I see lots of things, and it's that I'm going to hit quality first teaching or high-quality teaching or excellent teaching, whatever the latest buzzword is because the previous one needs updating this year, is that first stage of supporting children is the teacher's responsibility. It's their research. It's part of their role. And I think a lot of schools, as soon as someone isn't fitting the exact mould for that year group, they try and get the Senko involved immediately. I mean, you've hit all five there just with that statement, to be honest. I mean... (laughs) I definitely, I mean, I've got over the years, if I just have a, in my, I've written a book on this, it's out next year. So it's like a Senko survival guide with Hinton House. And one of the parts in there, I've got walking down a corridor, a little scene set where I'm kind of trying to get to a meeting and I've got this teacher coming towards me going, this child called Bruno, for example, you know, he's, he's got this issue. I'm like, thank you, Mrs. T. I'm just on my way to this really important meeting. But can you just come now? Because he needs this, this and this. I was like, well, you know, have you tried a safe space? Have you tried an, a now and next board? Are those things, in, I'm still walking to this meeting at this point. <laughs> we tried these things and they're like, no. I'm like, okay, well, you know that, you know, high quality teaching list of things that you've got is in all your classrooms. Can we do those things first? And then I've got my concern form. Then you can fill that in and you can tell me those things that you've done and what you've done about those. And then you can come back to me and then I'll come and see what I can do. So there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, so that, the, those first bits, yeah, the high quality, that all happens before it comes to the Senko. And that's, you know, staff training is key in that because you really need to, you know, every, it, repeat yourself. It doesn't matter how many times you repeat it. You just say it in a different way every time, beginning of every term. Get those staff meetings in staff because they need to hear all those quality first teaching skills and they need to be embedded in those classrooms because if that's all sorted, then your job is much easier and you can get on with your paperwork. Yes. But yeah, that is it. There are things that will come thrown at you, which is like, this isn't my role. This is your role. And also, if you are doing that training for teachers, yeah, keep it simple. Mm. Yeah. Don't try and focus on every type of need. Focus on the strategies that will support everyone. So it's useful. There's high quality, that list of things. That's what you go through first. Yeah. And you can say, look, this supports autism, this supports ADHD, this supports dyslexia. It covers all of them. If you do all of those first and none of them are working, then you progress. Definitely. It's like having dyslexia inclusive classrooms just as your whole school policy to start with, because it supports every learner. Breaking up information into smaller chunks supports every learner you know wherever they are in their learning journey so why not just do it for everybody changing yes. I was talking to my friend the other day about the cloths versus the sponges for children with sensitivity she said oh my son hates the sponge noise on the whiteboards it's a real problem for him in his class and I went to a secondary school for a look but it's okay because they don't use sponges they use cloths and they just said well you know, it's just a small adjustment. We can just do that for everybody and that will solve the whole problem. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's just a little bit creative sometimes about these things as well. It is. And I think, so, yeah, so working out what your role is in that first thing. And also, you only need one register for SEN. We've done podcasts on this. You don't need a, might be putting on the SEN register, the SEN register, and 
diagnosis does not necessarily mean instant pushing on the set. There's a whole, that's a whole podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But be confident around that. Have that identification. I did a podcast with Kate Browning many years ago about identification of SEND, which is literally going through that bit stays with the teacher. This bit is that I mean, use that. And when you're doing additional and extra, that's when they get put on the register mm-hmm. and things like that. So you have that whole process. Be clear in that in yourself. Definitely. As a Senko, and make sure everyone else is clear and your head teacher is backing you on that. Agreed. But I think the only caveat to that is that in different schools, in different areas, different children make it onto the list in comparison yes. to children that don't make it onto the list, which is a little bit upsetting to me. So if I have leafy suburbia, just as an example at one end, the child in leafy suburbia who just showing that they're a year below ARE, for example, might get popped on the register because there's some space on that register. Whereas, you know, up the road, 20 minutes, the same child would never make it anywhere near the register because, you know, they are just classed as low as 20% and just, just try, try their best, but never get any extra support. So it's not a very fair national system. That's the only thing. No. On the flip side, there is things like, yeah, quality of teaching, various other things. And also which authority you're in and how they do things will just mm. also have an impact if a child is on the register. But to, in your school, you need to be clear on that because that will really make your life easier. And your list might change every week. You know, I give an updated list every week quite often to children come, children go, you know, needs change, be flexible with it. <laughs> and the one thing which, again, I've seen on social media recently is how do you let teachers know which children are on the SEM register? So you might have a list of names for you, but when those teachers, those children move up the school, how does that teacher in September know? That's a big thing to think about. And I know some schools, they put markers in the register. So that way, when you get the register, you're literally, without even doing anything, you know, oh, I've got some children in the SEM register. You should then go read the EHCP and IEPs and things like that if you haven't read it helps people, it draws their attention to, rather than four weeks later when that child is having an episode or having an incident, because the teacher hasn't done any of the things in the EHCP because they didn't know, and you come in and you go, well, have you done this, this, and they're going, no. Draw their attention to these children as start of the school year, making sure they know who is on the SEM register. I think this is simpler in primary, certainly, because yes. you know primary generally should have a good handover. So if you're starting a new school in September as a Senko, get in there in July, you know, and find out because there needs to be some handover to teachers. And if it's the same teacher, I mean, I used to have it so that there was a bright orange folder in every class. All the information for those children is in that folder. I could go and get to that folder without bothering anybody if I needed to add information into it. So I could just, you know, I could see where it was in the classroom without asking the teacher. So I didn't have to stop them mid-flow go to the folder, put everything I needed in and all the information was in there. So it's just having those systems in place because you don't really want, it's embarrassing when a parent comes to you and says, oh, my child has had a toilet accident and the teacher says they didn't know about about the issue there. Yeah. And yeah, it can get a little bit awkward. And you are the perpetual middleman between the parents and the teacher. You're like a buffer, basically. So yeah, thick skin needed. <laughs> Yeah, and you have to you have to have that process. You have to have that orange folder, and then you need the leadership backing you up on that. Saying yeah. that orange folder is your responsibility to read. It's in your classroom. 
you need to make sure that at the beginning of the year, you've read through everything for the first day. So you know, do you need to change anything in your classroom? Do you need to make adjustments? Do you need to do any of that? And keep up to keep reviewing it. That's what that has to be supported by the senior leaders. Absolutely. Yeah. I think everything that can be supported by senior leaders gets done generally because it's a whole school ethos. It's when you're fighting your own corner on your own in a school, which happens you know, more than you think, then that's it's really difficult because you're just kind of wading through treacle, not getting very far with busy teachers. Yeah. So one of the bullet points, which I think we'll move on to now, we've touched on workload and stress. It's a Senko killer. You can literally do a documentary with David Attenborough watching that Senko going down the corridor, him commentating, and here we see a teacher. You just know that workload and stress on that Senko is, because Senkos are the most unknow. They're the teachers who can't say no. They're the teachers who will take everything on. Yeah, it's what the, it's like. If you do that, you become a Senko. It's empathetic. We've got that empathetic core, haven't we? <laughs> yes, you do. You all do, and it's amazing. But you have to protect yourself, and it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you've got to be able to manage your workload, and your workload will manage you as a Senko because everyone will throw things at you. You'll have a term where you every EHCP all happens to be in the spring term, and you have to do all that paperwork around it. You have to be able to let your head teacher know. They might not be aware. And you've kind of, and I don't just have it in a conversation, is put it into emails. Conversations can be forgotten. I would say put it in an email and put in, not just I'm busy, put in kind of guide or information on why you're so busy. I can do one better than that because on my blog, <laughs> on my blog I've got a workflow tracking document. So. It's got space, it's a sample one on there, and there's space in that where you can just track your workload, what you day, do daily, what you do weekly, what you do monthly, what you do termly, what you do ad hoc. You can attribute time to that. And the best thing you can do on top of that is print yourself off a blank timetable and just write exactly what you do, just down to breathing in and breathing out. Every single thing listed on there and also include what happens before school and also include what happens in your house at midnight because, yeah, it, Often Senkos have got the candles burning at both ends and it shouldn't be like that. But unless it's laid down in black and white, no one quite understands the workload. And also write what you do over the summer Mm because the Senko is the role which has to work all summer long because there are legal responsibilities that if this paperwork comes in, that deadline still has to be met in the summer holiday. So I would also very much clearly raise that with staff and don't feel like I'm failing the children or I'm failing because I'm not keeping up is especially at the moment, the levels of need is increasing hugely, but the level of funding is not going anywhere. So it's all against you. So it's not, it's the system failing, not you as a Senko. You're doing everything that you can. You need to let others know how overworked you are. Definitely. I think when you, because it's this is for the new Senko, this section. So yes. when you first come in on that first day, you kind of don't know what you don't know. So you get in there, you're like, oh, new job. And you get into that enthusiastic mode. And then like by lunchtime, you're like, oh, this is nice. I've been around to see some children. It's all, it's all really good. By day three, you're like, oh, there's actually quite a lot to do, isn't there? And oh, the last person left it in a bit of a mess, didn't they? And I can't find this paperwork, et cetera, et cetera. Who's even on the list? 
So, <laughs> so there's all there's all that to contend with if you're a new Senko. So tracking your workload is really important. And I would say that at times I was a very expensive admin person in my role. And if anything, then getting somebody to support with the admin is probably the most effective use of somebody else's time in comparison to your salary. The same as if you get called to do lunch duty and things, you're quite an expensive midday assistant, aren't you? So it's getting yes. the right people to be doing the right roles for you in order to make the most of your salary, really. So, yes, you do have Senko admin time. Do go research that because this is very useful as part of chasing up people and photocopying and preparing for meetings is you can offload a load of that to someone else, which will help you hugely. When you first walk into a school and, uh, and you don't know what you don't know, it's also being visible as well because... Unlike when you're in a in a team, like if you're in a year group team, you've got that instant camaraderie with people. You've got that instant chat. You might be in a WhatsApp group. You might be chatting you know, before and after school. But when you're alone, Senko, in the school, quoting Gary's book there, look. <laughs> lone Senko, <laughs> there you go, Gary. When you're doing that, then you are uh, insular. It takes a little bit longer in order to yeah. meet people, to say hello to people. I mean, that didn't bother me because I came into Senko a bit later in life. But if I was 25 and I was Senko, that was the time when I'm quite a social person back then when I was younger. I wanted those interactions with people. And it can be a little bit more difficult to infiltrate those groups when you first go in. So building those relationships with teachers and other staff is really key in your first term, definitely, in order to get yourself heard. And actually, it will actually save time later on because people are more likely to do things for you if you've got that relationship built in already. I was just thinking there is a, there's a quite a big difference between becoming a Senko in the school you're working with. You kind of know yeah. the whole school process. You've seen what the Senko does from your point of view. You're going to be very much, not fully aware, but you'll be a lot more aware of the Senko's role from your experiences, which is really helps you pick on, take on that role. But you might find there's it's a bit of a front and maybe not everything is as smooth within the Senko role as it maybe should have been. And you've got to work out where you are, where you should be and all those things. But I think, but the flip side is not everyone automatically sees you as the Senko from that point. They might not. So moving up is not always easy in the same school. Mm. And the Senko is moving up and go that person and, you might have conflicts of they're my best friend or I'm really good friends with them, they're my year tea partner or whatever. But where I think going into a school as your first Senko role, going to a brand new school, that is the hardest because there is no handover. You have no idea how it's gone before. And as you said, you've got to build all those relationships from nothing. Mm. There's a lot of trust. And it might, you might feel like the whole of that first time you're going, well, I don't know. Because you don't know where everything is. You haven't had a chance to read everything for that school. You don't know the children. That, I think that also adds to that anxiety of not making connections because you're not giving them the support yet because you've only just started. Definitely. And I'd also say on that, find out quite early on exactly what your role entails, what you're in charge of, because it might not just be Senko. You might, you know, a term later, realise that it was EAL as well. Or, you know, there might be some aspects of safeguarding. So depending on and pastoral on the size of your school, just find out from day one what your remit actually covers because you don't want any surprises later on down the line. No, that's a very good point. You might be their mental health lead as well. And yeah, various yeah, other lots things. Of things. So, yeah, I think for me, the first, as you said, the first day is walking in going, oh, I'm in a new school and having lots of fun and exploring. Then as you get 
more you go on, the more you realise how much paperwork it is. And I think it's it's really important. There's lots of people like Lynn and Kate Brown and loads of stuff to help new Senkos out there. Is It's worth spending a lot of time assessing where you are. Mm. So what is it we have? What have I taken over? What I have all this paperwork? What is it I actually need? Yeah, just because the previous Senko did it doesn't mean they did what they what you have to. Agreed, yeah. yeah. So sometimes, well, I've been a Senko for 20 years. This is what I was doing for the last 20 years. It's like, oh, yeah, but that's changed a lot over the last 20 years. So it's going in and literally don't just don't carry on. But this way we've always done it is a phrase I hate in education. What is it I actually have to do and find out? I'm sure Lynn has loads of stuff. There's all that stuff on the website about starting as a Senko. She's a whole resources for Senko section is what is it I have to do? What is it I need to do? What is gonna, what's the sort of things that makes a difference? Talking to Gary, go to the EEF SEN toolkit and find out what is actually going to make a difference. Find out from your staff, what is it you're doing that you feel makes a difference? What is it you're doing that is a waste of time? Literally just assess everything. Get a picture of what is going on, what's working, what's not working. And it's a big job. But I think you'll be much more effective quicker by doing that than just continuing on with blind faith of, well, this is what we've always done, so I'm just going to continue, where it's not working. And that's a big thing for me. If we look at the APDR cycle, so many people skip the assess and go straight to doing, which is a big bugbear of mine. And you actually need to make sure you're doing things effectively because spending entire term getting teachers to do something which has no impact isn't great for anyone. And if you can stop doing things that aren't working because they're not working, then stop and find things which do work. So it's a, to me, it's a huge assessment piece, which isn't going to take you a couple of weeks. It's going to take you a term or more to work out what have we got, what are we doing. As a company, B Squared, we have people phoning us in January, February, going, I took over from the previous Senko in September, and I've only just found out we've got B Squared. And no one's told them. So like, hang on, you've gone through a whole term. What are they, what? what? So it's, we come across that where there has been no handover. There's no real pay, or it's just a bit bonkers in some of these schools, these handover processes, which doesn't happen. And you've got to start from scratch and use that planner and work out what is it I'm doing and maybe talk to your senior leadership about, so this is what I'm doing. Is this what you want me to do? Is this going to help us move forward? There's a whole load around that for me, which I think is important. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And in order not to ruffle too many feathers, it's like those head teachers that come in and go, well, it worked in my school and I'm just going to change it all and put it all in my way. Whereas, you know, you don't want to be doing that. You want to be, no. I would say, do everything one their way, the way that, and then you've got more grounds in which to come back with evidence and say, oh, I think we need to update this or amend this. Because if you've tried it the current way, then I think people will be more happy for you to make it better and just evolve it naturally rather than sort of changing everything to start with. But there are an awful lot of schools that have been stuck in their ways for various reasons. And I think some of it's about the digital versus paper side of things. And and sometimes Senko's it's, it is a wonderful job if you're um if you're like got lots of experience in teaching and then you move on to Senkoing. And then some people stay in that role for a very long time and you get very established. And that means you get wonderful relationships with families, et cetera. 
but it can be quite difficult to stay up to date when you're doing all the day-to-day stuff. So there is that to contend with as well. So yeah, it's all about looking at the monitoring, looking at all the interventions. It's all about you know, tracking, looking at tracking systems and seeing what's working, just reviewing everything, looking at action plans if there is one, you know, just checking what paperwork's in place, what's statutory, what's not, how to how people can work smarter, not harder, which is difficult because we all work smart and hard. That's what we aim for. Lots of teachers work extremely hard, but the smart part, often requires change which when you're working really hard you don't always have that capacity for change no i think an organization hasn't always got that capacity to change as well because change in a whole organization it takes time and you know and any new head coming into a difficult circumstance no doubt would agree with this it'll take three years for to that change to embed and it might mean you know in in some schools that people have to get off the bus they're on the wrong bus they need to go and find another bus and then just it's just processes like that really so there's no quick fixes and I think you know it's the same with interventions isn't it there's a lot of whizzy interventions out there because if they're quick fixes but actually those basics and evidence tested interventions are long-term better it's just sometimes I think leadership teams are into those quick fixes but there's nothing there's no foundation below them so that just makes it a little bit more difficult to keep things embedded moving forward. It's also worth finding out, has somebody given you a target in the school improvement plan around SEN and you've just started as Senko? Mm. What is that? Is that achievable? And again, it's if you're doing this whole assessment piece, you, you, you kind of continue what you're doing, but you're literally assessing it all going, I don't like this or I like this and doing all that, is then presenting that to the senior leaders, being that, so you're not doing things in isolation. You've got to talk to the leadership and say, look, we're doing lots of this. It's a kind of a waste of time, but we're not doing this, which we really need to. We're not great at this or this year group. Or, and even what you want me to achieve is not achievable because of this. And having that conversation earlier on is better. Yeah. And actually, just you are a senior leader. Make sure you're treated like a senior leader. There are still schools who you don't have a seat at the table when you're a Senko. And I disagree with that completely because you are the advocate for SCND. SCND is a huge part of teaching and learning. You know, what you get right for SCND gets right for everybody. And your expertise is integral to getting good progress for all children, you know. So you should have a seat at that table. So if you don't have that seat, then first of all, that's what you need to work on getting it. And then also just making sure that you're communicating those things that you've discovered with your senior leadership team and you can do it sensitively there's no reason why you don't have to you don't have to go in all guns blazing and say I don't like this let's change it drip feed it you can just use those soft leadership skills that you're developing as you go along in order to um, get around people without them even realizing that's a good one so yeah I mean make sure you've got a seat at that table there it's really important and it is it's it's not about going in guns blazing but it's also You've got to make them aware of where you are and where you're, where the SEN in that school is likely to be in six months' time. Because I run B squared and it's great, and I ask someone, and if they tell me everything's fine, and then I find out three months later it's not, I will be much more upset that they didn't tell me three months. I'm not upset where we are. I'm upset that I haven't been able to plan, support, or change things three months ago. That's what I'm upset about. That they didn't come to me. We didn't have the conversation. And hopefully that everyone who I work with feels that that's fine and it's great. 
that, that, that situation never happens. They have a concern. They come to me. We talk about it. We move on. And everyone makes mistakes, okay? Every single person makes mistakes. Me, the world, everyone, including you listening right now. You make mistakes, okay? Don't hide from them. Own up. Yeah? First thing is owning up to yourself is the hardest part. But saying to a senior leader, I've mucked up, I've done something wrong, or whatever, this is what I'm doing. So what I always like is don't come to me with the problem that you've broken it or you mucked up or you didn't do something. I've, I didn't do this. Let's say I'm late on something or I didn't do this or I haven't got the data ready or I haven't done that. This is how I'm preventing it in the future. That makes me happy. When someone's found, they've realized they've made a mistake, they completely missed something. This is how I'm not going to let it happen in the future. Generally, if I get that, I'm not even upset because I've made mistakes. And, but, it's that learning from it and adapting it. And to me, admitting it is like going back to that yes or no person. If you, if you never admit a mistake, you're just a yes person. And the trust will slowly go. When someone, everyone can see you've made a mistake, but you can't admit it, people will see. So be that person who admits they've made a mistake because you're trying not to make it in the future. So don't beat yourself up for not being perfect. Because half the time the mistake when you actually realise why the mistake happened or why something wasn't done, it was an external factor. Something, oh, so like you've said, Lynn, about you spent the day supporting a child after an incident. You're helping to regulate them. and think that you spend all that time doing that, that something gets missed. How do you prevent it from being? You can't prevent those incidents. You can't prevent things you have to do. But hopefully you can find a way of, and having that planner, as you said, is a great way of preventing you from missing things. But yes, be open, be honest. I've got a great anecdote on that one from my my personal files. <laughs> in that, uh, my head teacher came to me once and said I, I had I had messed up on something, and and he'd had kind of messed up at the same time. It was kind of a joint effort, really. So <laughs> came to me and sort of said, "Oh, CEO wants to talk to you. Then expect a phone call. I've just been shouted at." Okay, so thank you. I thought I'm not going to go home tonight. And then wait for a phone call. I'm just going to phone her. <laughs> so, Excellent. I got my excuse in early. I just went, phoned up, apologised. You know, she said, oh, that's all right, dear. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so getting your apology in early is, you know, if you have messed up, is also a top tip from me. <laughs> it is because if you'd made the mistake and your head teacher was relying on that, it now looks like they've made a mistake. And when that head teacher goes to that CEO, that they've relied on it, and it's this: it's the you're missing one thing. Where does it go? What's the impact? And the sooner you draw attention to, I've mucked up. I've not done this. The sooner that mistake can go up thing, and everyone's going, "Well, you warned me ahead of when I needed it, so we'll have a plan B. We'll have a plan C." But it's when someone finds your mistake out afterwards, and you haven't really got an excuse. And yeah, we all make mistakes. Yes. I accidentally many years ago tripped over a power cable, which pulled the cable out of our servers and I hadn't set something up. So we lost our servers for a day. Yeah. Imagine you losing everything in your computer, your school for a whole day, all your tech, every document, nothing. Yeah. It was one of those things. Yeah. So for that, for a company, that was me. Yeah. And I did that. And I was like, you, all because I didn't tidy the cables up when I put them in. I left them. So that was my mistake, and I've learned from it, and it'll never happen again. But if you accept that you make mistakes, you accept that everyone else makes mistakes. So the way the head teacher kind of went, 
he owned up to his and he just gave you that warning. That's a, he owned up to his and he, he was also, again, a good leader. So he gave you that warning, which allowed you to be proactive. So it's all about working together. Definitely. And I think if over the years I've made lots and lots of mistakes and things, but also it comes back to that training aspect that you don't know what you're doing until you get to the role. So I've kind of, I remember when I was first an assistant head, I was, I don't, I was at the time, it was about 20, 15, 20 years ago. So it's at the time where in my head, a leader had certain attributes, which are probably quite old fashioned now. So I was a little bit harsh with somebody. And because that's why how I thought I needed to be, but actually that wasn't the way forward. I went back and apologized after. But if I'd have had a little bit more training for that role, then that wouldn't have happened. So same with your senkoing. If it's an issue because you haven't had enough training, say in autism, or you haven't had enough training in dyslexia, or whatever that is, or an assessment package, then you need to have those opportunities to learn about them before you're expected to be knowledgeable about them so you know if there's a mistake that comes from a lack of training then that gap really needs to be filled yeah and if you think about so i was chair of governors and the pay review each year and things like that if you're applying for ups one you set the criteria beginning of the year then if they're not on track you have to have that conversation halfway through the year you can't just tell them at the end you haven't made it you've got to give them that opportunity what you've also got to do is made sure as an organisation that you've given the training and support for them to achieve that. It's the same with the Senko. You've got to give Senkos the time and the support to achieve what they need to in the Senko role. So don't be afraid to ask for time or for training. Yeah, Not all training has to be expensive. There's lots of either free or low-cost training, which is really good. Agreed. And I think that, you know, in this role, it's gradually getting more and more available, the information about what Senkos have to do. All the top Senkos in the country are shouting from the rooftops about the role and, you know, the extent of the role and what Senkos are expected to do. So I'm hopeful that over time, it's going to start drip breeding through and there's going to be a few more sort of boundaries in place as to what's your remit and what isn't your remit. And, you know, obviously it depends on individual context, individual staffing, individual budgets. But I just, in terms of education overall, there's just going to come to a point where we're going to come to a bit of a standstill in terms of resources and money. So we'll, we'll see how that happens. But you can only do what you can do in the time you've got to do it. And I truly believe that if you've accounted for your time, then there's not really much else anyone can say, honestly, because... If you're doing the best you'd have in the time and over the time you've got available, then that's, that speaks volumes, isn't it, in, in terms of capacity and everything else. And if you feel that I'm asking for more, my head teacher saying no, and therefore I must be wrong, is go look up the Senko workload survey. It's happened a couple of years ago. Now, there was a bit of an update, but look at what other Senkos are saying around the country. Yeah, so it's not just your voice. There are lots of Senkos saying the same thing. Yeah, so it's not that you, yeah, go have a look at that. That will hopefully give you some, again, more insight into the role, how you're going to spend your time, how much time you actually need to achieve the role. Just use that. And if you are overworked, you've done the whole thing with Lynn's, you filled out her kind of timesheets and the planner and all that and gone, this is not sustainable. Yeah, I don't know how any, most Senkos who are married with children 
that's male or female, not being sexist, to be able to spend time with their children, how the current workload for most ENCOs is sustainable if they are full-time teaching. It just doesn't work. But I, th- I think in the role, I mean, focusing on those things that really make a difference in those classrooms, yeah. that's the bit that keeps you going. And that's the bit that, you know, I would truly recommend the new SENCOs to, to really harness onto because it's where the magic happens is in the classroom and making those differences for those individual children. That's where the magic is. So, you know, hang on to those things because that's absolutely what makes the job amazing. And as you see on the um, various SENCO groups, you get to the end of the year and sometimes random points in the year, which is also really nice, is the SENCOs literally run out of steam. It's been the worst year Everything's been against them. They get into July. It's like three days left or it's the last day. And then they get loads of or really nice thank you cards and messages. They're not the class teacher. They're the Senko. But the child and the family have recognized the amount of work you've put in. And that's the thing you're really going. You know that although other things haven't gone well this year, actually it's made a real big difference to this child. Yeah, and I think particularly with those high needs children where you go from not having the AHCP to getting the funding that the children need in order to make a difference in their education, then that is, you know, a golden moment, isn't it, when you've supported that yeah. family. And although, you know, you're quite often the sounding board, going back to working with parents there for a minute, you're the sounding board between the school and the family. And, you know, people will be grumpy with you. I mean, I've got a very thick skin and I always come from the angle of, Every parent is wanting the best for their child in often very difficult situations. And until I've lived 24 hours or a week in their shoes, I can't possibly understand the things that they are going through in their lives. Therefore, although they shouldn't rant and shout at me, you know, if that's what they need to do, then it doesn't bother me. I don't take anything personally. Obviously, there are boundaries and lines that need, can't be crossed in terms of safety, etc. But, you know, if someone wants to rant at me, I always say to them, they're coming from the point of wanting the best for their child. So I always start the conversations. I understand you always want the best for your child. So therefore, I can, you know, I'll listen to what you have to say, and then we'll move forward from there. So I mean, I was talking to parents that other people refused to even speak to in the end, I think, because I was one that worked, sort of worked with the more difficult, I say difficult, that's completely the wrong word, isn't it? So the families who communicated more regularly with school. So, yes. <laughs> so they weren't being difficult because they had genuine concerns about things, which we needed to unpick one by one. But in the end, we had a great relationship. So building those relationships with those parents is really key in moving everything forward and of course getting those thank yous when it when it all goes well as well and when you've managed to achieve what so they couldn't or other people couldn't for their child it's absolutely amazing and there is a podcast i did with jenny bootman which is called follow the empathy road which is about building that relationship and the different types of parents you'll come across so you'll have a parent who comes in with absolutely nothing and then you'll have a parent who comes in with three folders worth of information you're literally going to go oh it's one of those meetings but how do you deal with those is different. And we did discuss that on the whole podcast, but those relationships with parents are going to be key. That is the key. That is the bit that you're not going to be able to deliver everything they ask for. Okay. If you start that in your head, I can't deliver everything, but you're on their side. They want the best for their child. You want the best for their child. Your hands are tired by the money and the local authority. And as long as you're kind of sitting there and, and playing that role, going, Look, I can really agree with you, this is a limitation, this is the reasons, and helping them understand that 
and going, so we can't do that, but what we can do is this. And if we do this, it'll make life better and we can do this. And that's your role is managing the, what they want and what can be provided. And also having those difficult conversations because they can get difficult because if the school turns out that is not the right place for their child, then you've got to have that conversation and have it sensitively and and start supporting in in looking for for other settings. So I think some schools are a little bit quick to to judge as to whether a school is going to be suitable for a child without actually meeting the child. So that's another aspect of it, isn't it? Before, you know, when you've got that EHCP just turned up on your desk and you've got 10 days to decide whether it's the place for them. So that's another aspect to it. But yeah, definitely that definitely parents need to kind of really feel that you're on their side, even with those difficult conversations. And a big thing you can do, which really helps with that, is before the meeting, find out their names or learn their name. Get there or look, be, use their names, not hi, mum, hi, dad. Yeah, don't cause them that. That's it's if they come in, you go, oh, is it Lynn? Yeah, Lynn? Yes. Well, oh, welcome, Lynn. Come in, Lynn. Immediately you feel welcomed and you're at the same level. And you introduce yourself, rather than being, I'm Mr. Pickles, I'm Dale. Yeah. Use your first name with a parent, build that relationship. Don't try and keep it formal and distant and separate that you don't know them and start going into a bank. It's make the connection. You find out their names um, and use their names. It, I think it makes a big difference. It makes you feel more like you're working on this together rather than you're an inconvenience if you're being more formal. Definitely. One of the best things that came out for us over lockdown was those relationships with families because we were. I was phoning my families every week in order to see how they were doing. And I wasn't even just talking about SCND. We ended up chatting about baby weaning and, you know, what the brother was doing at secondary school and what wasn't doing at secondary school. So those relationships over lockdown, I've got a lot more information about all the families which we serve and those relationships has carried on really when we came back to school. So definitely taking time to build on those as soon as you get into school as a new Senko is really important. So just finding out who your high needs are straight away and getting straight on the phone or straight on the Zoom to those parents just so you know them really well. Because when it comes to the annual review, it's a lot more fun, isn't it? If you can have a joke with them and it's all about the child and it's you know, not difficult if you've already got that relationship there. Definitely. I love the fact you mentioned Zoom there because I'm going to make sure I mention that is for lots of people, yeah, if you're a teacher and you're a child, you can't get to the school at half three. You've got your own life. For most people who work, they can't get to school for end of day meeting or even a night, yeah. But what they probably can do, yeah, mainly due to the distance, yeah. If you work in London, you have to travel up to London, leave it's just a huge. But what they could probably do is get up to London and have a Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting. They can find somewhere quiet or private and have the meeting over Teams. It's not as good as face-to-face, yeah? I much prefer face-to-face, but a lot of the time that Zoom or Teams is close enough for what you need, yeah? And it might mean that mum joins at work, the dad joins from home, or the dad joins from wherever, but you now get both the parents, not just the one who could come in. Yeah, so then you're not trying to tell the mum or the dad this with the other one not believing or not supporting or they have different opinions. You get to hear both sides. So don't be afraid of Zoom and Teams. If they can't come in or if you feel like when you ever invite parents and they're not coming in, try Zoom, try Teams, see if that works. I was talking to someone recently and the child is anxious their parent is in the school. The parent is anxious. The parent still has 
as adults still get that feeling of walking to a head teacher's office, of being five and going into a head teacher's office. So sometimes, again, from the parents' point of view, maybe doing it over Zoom and Teams is less anxious. Yeah, it's easier for them. So don't, they can't come in, try using tech, see if that makes a difference. Yeah, I think overall, just giving them every single opportunity to engage with the school and with their child's learning is just so important. And it just sends a message to the child as well that they're important and everyone's working together for them. Definitely. And I'm going to end on that, that the child is important and we're all working together for because that is, that is what we're all doing. And also it's senko, not send do. Yeah, coordinator, not doer. So, Lynn, thank you for coming on the show today. I've loved it. We meandered around the Senko role, not necessarily focused on new Senkos, but lots of things around the Senko. It's, it should be a really rewarding job. It can be a really rewarding job, just not necessarily in this climate. But in the right school, it definitely is still a rewarding job in this climate. So perhaps if it's not for you, perhaps consider your environment rather than... Yes, yes. Before else. you leave, try a different mm-hmm. school. My, always, whenever I see it in a group, try a different school first. The leader, the head of that school, has m- really defines that school more than anything else, and it has a big impact. So we're putting links to things we have mentioned and some other things that Lynn sent me that you'll find useful in the show notes, including some links to some Send Station training that she does for new Senkos, and also be sharing Lynn's contact details. And you'll find the show notes on our website or wherever you're listening to the podcast. So thank you for listening. If you haven't subscribed already, click on that subscribe button wherever you're listening. And also you can follow us on social media. So search for The Sendcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and also LinkedIn, which is unloved by us, but it is we are still there. And if you're struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you just want to see what is available, have a look at the B-squared website. I'm going to just mention as a Senko, if you have no real assessment, come and have a look at B-squared. It makes life so much easier. You can book a free meeting with me so I can take you through what our products do and how they make a difference. And we have a range of assessment products to help all schools show the small steps of progress for pupils with SEND. And if you're a school in England still confused by the engagement model, not sure about the pre-key stage standards or anything else, please get in contact. You can find out about our online training sessions, our conferences. You can read our blog or watch our webinars all on the B-Squared website. And you'll find a link to the website and how to book a meeting with me in the show notes. Or you can also drop me an email. That's also there. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. Bye, everyone. Bye.